The reading today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And if you're following that in the church Bible, it is on page 1025. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those wonderful words. Greetings. You who are highly favoured, Lord, may those words sink deep into our hearts as we meditate, as we reflect on those words this morning. In your mighty name, amen. I've got a question for you right at the start of my talk, uh, partly to see if you're still awake. Sure you are. It's only just uh, gone 10 o'clock in the morning. But I want, you to get, I want to get you thinking and I want you to talk to each other. You're allowed to do that in church, that's okay. Uh, and uh, it's a question that will be on the screen. Let's see, we'll just put on the screen uh, behind me. And I'd like you to have a little think in a, in a group around you, uh, however easy it's done along your row or if you can turn around, just however it's easiest. I just want you to have a little chat with each other and try and think about what is the one belief that sets Christianity apart from all other world faiths and religions? Uh, now, we can, we'll have to sort of have a little conversation about what it is, whether there's one belief or more than one belief. But uh, for the sake of my sermon, there is one belief that sets Christianity apart from all others. Um, 
But that's, that's for negotiation, that's for discussion. But have a little talk with each other, uh, and I'll come back in a, in a few minutes, and we'll, we'll see what you've come up with. So just have a little bit of chat with each other. Uh, Aidan, I will need a walk-around microphone, if that's okay. So have a, have a chat with each other. I'll be back in a minute. of your dogmatic theology, don't worry, it's just, just, to, just to say. So who wants to start? Who would like to say what they think is the one belief that sets Christianity apart from all other world faiths? Mark. He's the living God. Okay, so he's the living God. The living God, he's real. He's the real living God, okay. Ivan. The only way to God is through Jesus. The only way to God is through Jesus, okay. Thank you. Chris. Every other religion is an attempt to reach up and gain access to God, as in the Tower of Babel. Christianity is the only religion where God comes down and rescues man. Okay, thank you. Great answers. Anybody else? Yes. Islam says that Jesus was a prophet. Christianity says Jesus is the Son of God and he's alive today. As I'm sitting here. Thank you. Right. Thank you very much. Right. Anybody else? Lots of men so far. I think Jesus died um, so that we don't have to. Okay. So the way that Jesus died for us. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Well, I hope it's generated some interesting discussions uh, amongst you. Um, there is... I mean, there's, a, there's a, a, an element of, you know, not disagreement, but there are various ways in which Christianity uh, is different or unique from other faiths. Uh, yes, it's, it is uh, the way that uh, God has reached down to us. Um, yes, it's the, the, the way by which Jesus dies. Uh, yes, there's other ways by which you could say perhaps that uh, we're saved by grace. You know, no other world religion would teach that we are saved not through our own merits, not through our own works, our own efforts, but we are saved through grace. In other words, that God gives us salvation because we, we, not we haven't earned it, it's just that he, he loves us that much. Um, now, for the sake of my talk, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the sake of my talk, I... This is one of them, but I think, you know, this is a really, it, is a, it really does set uh, Christianity apart. It is a fact of the incarnation. It is a fact that God becomes a human being. Uh, none of the other world faiths teach that. It, it is unique to Christianity that Jesus is God-made man. And it is fundamentally, really, that it sets Christianity apart from all other faiths, uh, Judaism, Islam, etc., etc. And really, it's, it's, you know, it's where the rubber hits the road. It's really the, 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 the doctrine that sets us apart, Christians apart. And we're the only faith that believes that God himself has become one of us. Now, it's true, of course, that we believe in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We do. Uh, it's true we believe in the, the great I am. 
the one who spoke to Moses at the burning bush, the one who parts the sea, allows them to escape from the Pharaoh, the, the, those uh, people who are slaves in Egypt, the Israelites, to, to escape. Uh, we believe in the God who uh, was there by fire and then by uh, a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. Uh, we believe in the God who reveals himself to the Jewish nation. Uh, we believe in the God who descends in the cloud uh, at the, uh, the tent of the tabernacle, who, uh, who shakes Mount Sinai, uh, who uh, is so uh, awe, uh, who strikes people with such awe that people tremble and even die in his presence. Uh, we believe in the God who we can't see his face, we can't look upon his face because he is so holy. We believe in the God who is holy, 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 three times holy. We believe in Yahweh, the one who is ho- so holy that his name can't be mentioned. We share all that in common with the Jewish people. But we part company when we get to Luke chapter 1. Because in Luke chapter 1 we see that God becomes a man. Now, there are very, very many faithful Jews who would say that they uh, believe that Jesus is a prophet, believe that he is a teacher, but they would say something like this if you were to say that Jesus is God. They would say, well, you can never convince me that the Holy One, the great God of Israel, would become a human being, a mere creature, a mere man. God is holy, we are not. It's a contradiction for him to become flesh. Worse than that, they would say it's offensive. It offends the greatness of God. That's what a Jew might say. Now we often say, don't we, as Christians, that the cross is offensive. It's offensive because it confronts us with the reality of our own sin, our need for salvation. But the notion of sin isn't offensive to a Jew. No. A Jew would say, yes, there is such a thing as sin, there's such a thing as sin that needs to be dealt with. No, what is offensive to the Jew is the incarnation. Because to a Jew, that's blasphemous. And indeed, that is the crime that Jesus is charged with in the Sanhedrin by the Jewish council. That Jesus himself is God, the Son of God. And it was just as the angel Gabriel said to Mary, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy One. Now holiness isn't just about moral purity. Holiness is about godness. Or goodness, godness, goodness, it's the same really. It's the stuff that makes God God. His goodness makes him God. God is alone is holy. And the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that Jesus will be holy, i.e. he will be God. He will be called the Son of God. And yet those who follow other religions, other spiritual traditions, other spiritual trajectories would want to say, but aren't we all sons and daughters of God? And to this we say back to them, yes, but we're not holy. We are made in his image, yes. We are like him, yes. But we were made out of the earth. We are made of flesh. But God is made of pure godness, holiness, goodness.
goodness. And thereby, thereby, therefore, he's different. Jesus is different. Jesus is holy. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And just imagine, you know, all of that in the background, just imagine you are then told you are to bear him as your son. And so when the angel Gabriel greets Mary, the scriptures say that she is afraid and distressed. Well, wouldn't you be? (laughs) My daughters have taught me a new phrase when it comes to being scared or frightened. Freaking out. (laughs) It's a bit colloquial, isn't it? She's basically freaking out. This is Mary, the favored one. No wonder she's scared. No wonder she's worried. She's been given the most momentous news possible. Greetings, says Gabriel to her. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now, I don't know whether you've ever really thought about this, but you might sort of have a nice warm feeling. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. God favors you or God favors her you know that she's special well she is special but it's more than that to Mary she's a Jew she knows there's more than that just that it's nice and and she's special she knows it's more than that she knows that it's actually quite terrifying because this phrase you have found favor with God is actually a phrase used in the Old Testament And literally it means you have found grace beside God. In other words, that God's grace has come beside you, come next to you, come close to you. And Mary, being a good Jew, Jewess, she would have known that from the Scriptures. And she wouldn't have known this is serious stuff. It means that she has been specially chosen, specially blessed by God. Now, a little bit more uh, Bible work for you. Um, I wonder if you know who is the first person in the Bible who is called favored by God. Have a guess if you can't, if you can't, if you don't know, just have a guess. Who do you think is the first person who is favored by God in the entire Bible? Go back before Abraham. Shall we go back to Genesis? Let's have a look if you've got your Bible. Now, actually, the very first, if you look in Genesis chapter 4, it says that Abel is the one who is favored. Did anybody say Abel? Oh, well done. Well done, Margaret. Whoa, big slice of Christmas cake to you. Putting Abel apart, the next one is Noah. Noah is uh, favored by God. So if you look in uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verses 6 to 8, it tells us that. So Genesis chapter 6 says this. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply, deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
Noah finds favor in the sight of God, which is good news. However, he's got to build an ark, which is not so good news. Others have found favor in the eyes of the Lord as well. Yes, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Samuel. All of those characters in the scriptures have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so you see, it's got a heritage to it. It's got a background to it. What the angel Gabriel says to Mary, he's got this background to it in the Old Testament scriptures. And so it's a blessing and a calling. It means that something is going to be asked of you. And in the Old Testament, of course, that favor rests on the Jewish nation. This is what Moses says to God in Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 and 16. Moses says to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord promises Moses he will do this. He says, for you have found favor in my sight. So, it looks like, it seems like, doesn't it, that God has favorites. Until Luke chapter 1 blows that distinction out of the water in the most offensive way. Because Gabriel says in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so what Gabriel is saying is when he says that the the power of the Most High will overshadow you, what he's saying is the full, terrifying glory of God is going to come on her. That glory, that, remember the glory of, of Mount Sinai, the glory when God appears to Moses, the glory at the tent of the tabernacle, the glory at the tent of the meeting, that glory is descending on Mary. And so you see the full power and glory of God is no longer to dwell in the tabernacle, but in a tiny beating heart. The Holy One of Israel, the Holy God of Israel, is pleased to dwell in a woman's womb in the form of a child. And many people would ask, why would God do that? Why do that, God? He did it because out of all of creation, human beings are his favorites. Human beings are his favorites. This is what the psalmist writes. Psalm 8 Verses 5 and 6. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. And so for many, the concept of the incarnation offends their concept of God. It's just difficult to comprehend that God, who is holy, would rate humanity like that would rate humanity as highly as that. That you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Because you see, I think the sinful part of us, the selfish part of us, is kind of happy with an ark. You know, with an ark as a salvation plan, or the salvation plan. And sometimes we see the cross a bit like an ark. 
You know, some people are on the ark and some people aren't. Some people are saved, some people aren't. And it's that selfishness that that, that we can have in our own souls, if we're honest, that says, as long as I'm on the ark, I don't need God. As long as I'm okay, I don't need God with me. Now we know, don't we, that not everyone will be saved. But the cross of Christ is not an ark. Because the ark wasn't for everyone. It was only for Noah and his family. But the cross is for the whole of humanity. Now a lot of people are happy with a God who reveals himself only to his favorites, the one he really loves. And if we're honest, you know, we, we just can't love human beings the same as God does. Surely some are excluded. In our, human, in our humanness, you know, in, our, in who we are, fragile human beings, we only really love a few people. We can only really love a few people because that's all we can do as human beings. And there's probably at least, probably at least one person in our, in our lives that we would die for, Probably. But we don't love the whole of humanity like that. We can't. We wouldn't die for our enemies. But Jesus did. Jesus did. He left the glory of heaven to die for everyone, even his enemies. And Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross that wide. And by doing so, proclaimed that the love of God is wide enough and deep enough and high enough, even for sinful people like you and like me. And he said, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God forgives you. In fact, he's saying, God is with us. It was in the salvation plan of the blessed and glorious Trinity for the eternal Son of God to become a mere human being so that through him the grace of God would come beside all human beings. It means that we have all found favor with God. And so we who believe in the incarnation have a message for every single human being. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Let's go out and live it. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we can't begin to fathom your plan. We can't begin to comprehend your plan. Your plan is so wide, so great, so glorious, so majestic that we as fragile human beings can't begin to understand why you would do it. But you did it because you love us. You did it because you love your creation. You did it because you love people. Lord, help us as those who have accepted that to go out and to live that. To go out and live the gospel, to go out and live the good news that Jesus says to us, greetings, you are highly favored. In your precious name we pray. Amen.